he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Well, good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming out tonight. It's good to see you. Uh, tonight, oh well, tonight is the beginning of our Easter journey when we're asking the question, what did Easter bring us? For most Australians, the honest answer is a long weekend and too much chocolate. Um, we're here tonight because Easter brings us so much more. And the answer tonight is death's champion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us as we apply our minds to understand uh, the victory of Jesus Christ, and we pray that we would have greater confidence in him, and we would love him more. Amen. Okay, so traditionally on Maundy Thursday, we remember the night before Jesus died, when he had his Passover meal with his disciples, he predicted and spoke about his death the following day, and then his resurrection. Tomorrow, we will remember Good Friday, where Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then on Sunday, the third day, we'll remember how he bodily rose from the dead. Friday and Sunday are the main days that Christians celebrate, because that's where the main work happened, right? Have you ever wondered what happened to Jesus between Friday and Sunday? Where did he go? The Apostles' Creed, which you all recited, answers the question with these words. He descended to the dead. Now, I have to say that of all the lines in the Apostles' Creed, that is the most awkward one, and that's the one that most Christians either mumble through because they think it's slightly dodgy, or uh, they just say confidently without the foggiest idea of what it means or why it might matter. What does it mean to say he descended to the dead? Uh, is it simply saying that when Jesus died, he really truly died? Um, and he wasn't just pretending to be dead, he was completely snuffed. He was snuffed out. All right. Uh, if that's what it meant, then isn't that kind of redundant? Because wouldn't that be just repeating the line before? He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Isn't that second line just sort of needless repetition? Or do the words, he descended to the dead, mean that Jesus went to hell? And if so, does that mean that he went to hell to keep on suffering? And if that's what's meant by that phrase, well, isn't that heretical? Because wouldn't that imply that on the cross, Jesus' suffering wasn't enough? to atone for our sins, that he had to top up 
the suffering that he did there on the cross, that he had to do extra down in hell. He had to burn off more sins there for the world. And if that's the case, isn't it wrong? Because doesn't the Bible say God reconciles us to himself through the cross? And then we might think, well, hang on. Regardless of what it might mean, isn't it just unbiblical? Because, I mean, which Bible passage would you honestly go to to show that Jesus descended to the dead? Well, tonight, I want us to approach the question of what does Easter bring us by asking this question. Where did Jesus go after he died? Is it the case that Jesus descended to the dead, as the Creed says, and if so, why? I mean, what did it achieve? And what difference does it make to us? Well, the place we have to begin is the Bible's teaching on death, and specifically the question, where do people go when they die? Uh, I'm going to give you some information, so you have to plug in your brains here, right? Okay. In the Bible, up until the time of Jesus, everyone who died went to the place of the dead. Sheol in the Old Testament. So when you die, your soul separated from the body, your body turned to dust. From dust you came, to dust you will return. But your soul went to Sheol, the place of the dead. Now, however, not everyone's experience in Sheol was the same because there's a distinction within Sheol between the place where the righteous dead go and the place where the unrighteous dead go. The distinction comes out, for example, in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which describes the resurrection, general resurrection. Multitudes in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And embedded within those verses is the idea that within Sheol, from which people come, there is a distinction between the righteous and the wicked within Sheol. And within Sheol, the place where the righteous go is called Abraham's bosom, or paradise. Uh, It's still in Sheol, it's in the depths, Psalm 139 verse 8, David says, if I go up to the heavens, you God are there. If I go down to Sheol, the depths, you are there. If you know the story of King Saul in the books of Samuel, and you recall 1 Samuel 28, when Saul speaks to the which at Endor and uh, calls up the spirit of Samuel. He comes up from Sheol. But perhaps the clearest illustration of this distinction within Sheol between the place of the righteous and the place of the wicked is actually in Jesus' teaching in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. In this parable, Jesus describes what happens after death to two men. There's a rich man and there's a poor man beggar named Lazarus. They die, and they both go to Sheol, the realm of the dead, but the rich man goes to Hades, a place of terrible suffering, whereas Lazarus, the poor man, he goes to Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. On the south coast of New South Wales, there is a beach called Abraham's bosom beach, which kids snicker at because it uses the word bosom. Um, but the idea is it's meant to be paradise, you know, it's ideally, it's a beautiful beach. And Abraham's bosom is synonymous with the word paradise, you know, it's just gorgeous. Um, 
Okay, in the parable, the rich man is there in agony in the fire, Hades, in Sheol. And he calls out to Abraham, who's also in Sheol, but at a different place. Abraham, could you just drop some water on my tongue? The relief of that, because of the flames I've experienced, would just be heavenly. And Abraham says, I, I, I can't. Because between us and you is, is a great chasm, meaning no one can move across, even if we wanted to. Now what's illustrated in that parable, it is a parable, but what's illustrated there, is that there are two places in Sheol, in the realm of the dead, and that, interesting, there's a communication in the, in the parable between those in one place and those in another. So the Bible up to Jesus' time describes two places where people go. Both are in the realm of the dead, but the experience of people in them couldn't be more different. The righteous are in paradise or Abraham's bosom. The unrighteous or wicked are in this place of terrible suffering. Now we might add to that then a third place in the realm of the dead, which the New Testament speaks of. This is a place not for people, dead people to go to. This is a place for fallen angels in Greek this is called Tartarus. In 2 Peter, Peter describes this is a place of darkness and chains, a, a kind of holding cell, a place of custody for fallen angels to be kept prior to their trial at the Day of Judgment. Jude describes this also in Jude 6 as a place of darkness where they are bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So by the time of Jesus, the realm of the dead comprises three separate sections. There was Abraham's bosom, or paradise, where the souls of the righteous went. There was Hades, or the abyss, where the souls of the unrighteous went, a place of suffering and agony. And then there was Tartarus, a, a special place specifically for fallen angels. To those three, then, in the New Testament, we may add another one, a fourth, place mentioned. This is Gehenna, or hell, which is a place of final suffering and eternal punishment after Judgment Day. That's the place where all who are unrighteous will finally go, together with the fallen angels. Unrighteous people will leave Hades, they will go to Gehenna, or hell. And fallen angels will leave their holding cell in Tartarus, they will go to Gehenna, hell, along also with the devil, place where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. So that's the Bible's teaching on what happens after you die, up until the time of Jesus. Now all that's necessary background when we come to looking for biblical support for Jesus' descent to the realm of the dead. The first place in the Bible we go to to look for support for that idea is in our second reading, or our last reading, 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 18 explains why Christ suffered and died. For sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And that will be our theme verse tomorrow on Good Friday. The work required to bring us to God was done on the cross on Good Friday. We need to be upfront about that. Good Friday is the main game. But then Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter goes on to tell us what happened next. He says, Jesus was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus' body was dead, totally dead, buried in the tomb, 
snuffed out, right? Expired. But Peter's saying that Jesus' spirit was made alive. That he experienced a separation of spirit and body. Peter says that Jesus, after being made alive in the spirit, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people ate and all were saved through water. Now, without doing a big sermon on 1 Peter 3, um, the place where Jesus went to is the realm of the dead, but he's describing this place where the fallen angels went as Tartarus. Jesus descended to the realm of the dead, to Sheol, the place of the righteous dead, to paradise. You remember Jesus' words to the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Right? It's the realm of the dead where the righteous go. But remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, how there was talking across the chasm. The rich man appealing to Abraham and Abraham answering. Well, Jesus went down to the realm of the dead, to where the righteous go, and he was able to, as it were, speak and preach across the chasm to the spirits in prison in Tartarus. Well, if that sounds totally obscure, further uh, scriptural support for Jesus' descent to the dead, which is a bit more clear, uh, we'd go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, verse 8 we won't go through the logic of Ephesians 4, but just to pick up the argument halfway through. Verse 8 talks about Christ ascending on high, referring to his ascension into heaven after rising from the dead. Verse 9 talks about... Uh, next one, thanks. Oh, if we've got it, we don't have it, don't worry. Verse 9 talks about what happened before that. He descended to the lower earthly regions. Now, I used to think that this meant... His incarnation, he descended to, from heaven when he became a man to the lower earthly regions, to, to our place, right? Uh, the problem with that, and I've changed my view, is that that phrase, lower earthly regions, whenever that's used in the Old Testament, it always refers to Sheol. So, if that's the case, Ephesians 4 is talking about Christ descending to the realm of the dead, the lower earthly regions, to Sheol. Where else could we go? We could go to Jesus' own words in Matthew 12, where Jesus answers the Pharisees who are demanding a sign to prove Jesus came from heaven. And Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. None will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And then he says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus here is referring back, of course, to what happened to the prophet Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, Jonah was thrown off the ship, plunged into the waters, he was swallowed by a huge fish, which then took him down, like to the bottom of Mariana Trench, you know, that sort of deep, deep, dead place, right? The depths of the earth, a place understood as Sheol, the realm of the dead. Now Jesus says, just as Jonah went down, figuratively, to Sheol, I say that because he, he wasn't actually dead, but he, he went to the place where dead, you know, the dead things are. Um, so I, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights there too, in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying that he would descend to the realm of the dead. 
One last place we can look is Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit's been poured out, Peter is preaching, and then he quotes from Psalm 16 where David, a thousand years beforehand, prophesies ahead of time about his descendant, Jesus. In verse 27, he says that God will not abandon him to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. This is talking about body and spirit. Jesus' body would be dead, but wouldn't decay. God wouldn't allow that to happen. That's a prophecy of resurrection of body. And his spirit would be in the realm of the dead, but not abandoned there. So we've looked very quickly at four places in the New Testament which speak of Jesus' descent to the realm of the dead. I'm not going to give you more scriptural support if I could. But now we come to the question, what did Jesus do there? Is it the case that Jesus went there to suffer more for our sins? No. On the cross, Jesus' last words were, it is finished, right? Atonement for sins, finished, complete, finalised, no more, right? On the cross. Paul in Colossians 1 says, God makes peace with us through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Not through some extra suffering, which he has to do after the cross. So why does Jesus descend to the dead if he's not going down there to suffer? Well, we've just heard that he went there to preach to the spirits in prison. Uh, Well, what does that mean? Does Jesus go to evangelise the spirits in prison, to give them kind of a second chance beyond death, a, a final chance to repent and be saved. No. Because Hebrews chapter 9 is emphatic. People are destined to die once and then after that to face judgment. There is no second chance after we die. This is it. That's why it's so important to to respond to Jesus now. And then remember the parable of the rich fool and Lazarus, the rich man begging for Abraham to dip his finger in water and to put it on his tongue. Abraham says, I can't. There's a chasm between us. It can't be crossed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's no movement out of Hades for people who go there except to the final place of judgment, Gehenna or hell, after the day of judgment. So if Jesus wasn't evangelising the unrighteous dead in the realm of the dead, what did Jesus do then? And now we come to it. Right? Listen. Jesus descended to the dead to preach. Not for repentance, too late for that. But to proclaim his victory. The victory he won on Good Friday on the cross. The victory of enduring the cross, of resisting the temptation to come down and save himself. He stayed there. He stayed there to extinguish all of sin's curse. What a victory that was. He went to proclaim the victory of staying until the law's demands were completely satisfied and met in full. He he bore the curse of sin entirely. He, He went to proclaim the victory that atonement has been made in full. The death no longer has a hold on those for whom he's died and who believe. That really there is freedom from the grave. He went to proclaim this to the dead, and to proclaim that he was Lord now of the living 
victory over judgment. How right it was that he went and proclaimed it to those under the earth. You see, in removing from us the curse of death, that makes him the champion of death. The Lord of the underworld, who has authority over death and Hades. Jesus says of himself, Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He has the authority, you see. He's the Lord of them. Now that he is the one who holds the key of death and Hades. He is Lord, not just of the living, he is Lord of the dead. Meaning, you see what it means, Satan is not Lord of the underworld. You know those cartoons which describe hell and have little Satan there in charge, you know, sort of holding a pitchfork or in religious um, paintings, there's the devil in charge. Not so. By dying to pay the ransom for sinners, Jesus took the keys from Satan. Satan has no power to condemn those who Jesus has died for, who belong to him. No power at all. No power of hell or scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. So when Christ ascended to the dead, he proclaimed his victory and authority, and then he went further. Then he bound and robbed Satan. Now, of course, he was doing this on earth in his miracles, tying up the strong man. He talks about that in Mark chapter 3, tying up Satan to set free those whom Satan had imprisoned with sickness and demon possession. Those miracles, however, were only ever the pointers, the prelude to the greatest work on the cross where he really did pull the teeth out of Satan and, you know, hamstring him. Well, now, having descended to Satan's domain and proclaimed his full authority, and Lordship there, Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss. And next, having bound Satan, he robbed him by setting the captives free. Not everyone who was in the underworld, but the righteous dead, he set free. Those who had been waiting in Sheol for him to set them free. Let me put it simply. What Jesus did when he descended to the dead was in the realm of the righteous dead he announced his authority he grabbed the keys he tied up the prison guard and he performed a jailbreak. We see this in Matthew's account of Jesus' death. At the very moment Jesus breathes his last in Matthew's gospel, two things happen immediately. First of all, the curtain of the temple tears in two. This is a sign that no more offerings are needed. Atonement has been fully made. Okay, offerings are now out. Sacrifices for sin are out. Because he has died once for all. This is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, because that is so complete, this has impact in the realm of the dead. And that leads on to the second thing that happens. What do we read? The tomb's broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. There was a jailbreak in Sheol. Not of everyone, 
those that righteous dead. What does this mean? It means they are now no longer in Sheol. They're not there anymore. Because the one who died, who descended in spirit, announced his victory, grabbed the keys, bound the strong man, and set the captives free. Now, consequently, from this point on in the New Testament, we see now a change in language of what happens when believers die. They no longer descend to the dead or go to be with their fathers. Instead, they go to be with Christ. John speaks of this in Revelation chapter 6 when he looks into heaven and sees the souls of Christian martyrs calling out, How long, Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? This is before the day of judgment. They're still looking forward to the day of judgment. They're calling out for it. And where are they? They are in heaven. And they're not asleep. They are in conscious fellowship with God. He set the captives free. Now we began, uh, we've covered a lot of ground. I want to pull the threads together. We began by asking what did Easter bring us? The answer, when we look at where Jesus went between his death and resurrection, is death's champion. That's what Easter brings us. Now, how should we think of this? Well, in a real way, Jesus' descent to the dead can be seen as part of his humiliation, uh, completing, if you like, his journey from heaven through all the stages going down. First of all, you know, he took on human form. He was born into our world. That was the incarnation. Then he took on the nature of a servant, identifying with sinners in his baptism and, and later in his life. And then he humbles himself further and becomes obedient to death. And then he goes down further, the lowest of all deaths, death on a cross. But then he goes down further. His body separates from his soul. His body buried, his soul finally descending down to the realm of the dead. I hope you see what this means for us. It means that there is now no part of the human condition which he has not experienced including separation of soul and body to death, including for those who died before Christ ascending to the realm of the dead. Jesus did it. Now, why was this so important? The early church fathers wondered about this. Um, there were three giants in Christian thinking who stand out. Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nazianzus, and Gregory of Nyssa. These were the Cappadocian fathers. If you've ever said the Nicene Creed, they were significant in writing that. I bet you didn't know that. All right. Together, they coined a phrase which says, what is not assumed is not healed. What is not assumed is not healed. We're talking about Jesus taking on our humanity. Okay. Now, perhaps the best way to imagine this... Sorry, I should say what they meant. They, were, they meant that it was necessary for Jesus to become fully human in every way including even going through the experience of death and in his soul descending to the dead. It was necessary for that to happen so that in him we may be fully restored. The best way to imagine this, I think, perhaps, is, is that in his identification with us in every way, Jesus carries us. It's like he piggybacks us, right? And then he journeys through the lowest of places which we in our normal humanity would journey. And then having been right down to the bottom, to the depths, he then carries us out. 
Hebrews 2 says, because of Jesus sharing in our humanity like this, Jesus breaks the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who otherwise were held in slavery by the fear of death. What this means is we don't need to fear going where Jesus has gone before us. Because what he's done is he's gone into Sheol, but he's come out and he's taken people with him and he's locked the gate for those who believe. So that we will not go there, but instead, if you believe, we will be with him. And where he is, is not in the realm of the dead anymore. Where he is, is in heaven. So Jesus' descent to the dead in a very real, real way is the final part of his humiliation. But... The main way, I think, to think about it is it's his first step in his exaltation. Um, he doesn't descend to suffer anymore. He doesn't descend in lowliness. He descends in triumph. His work was finished at the cross. He descends as the champion of death. And in declaring this to the realm of the dead, this is the first step of his journey upward of his exaltation, of God exalting him, Philippians 2, to the highest place, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What difference does it make to us that Jesus Christ descended to the for those who believe in him, and this I close, for those who believe in him, who died for their sins, and who was raised to life from the grave, Jesus' descent to the realm of the dead changes our experience of death. The language changes. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter 6, we read that when he was stoned to death, the language of death is no longer used, but only of him falling asleep. Why? It's because those in Christ can't truly die. They live even though they die. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4, we fall asleep in him. Falling asleep doesn't mean that we're unconscious, of course, but simply that just as when you look at someone who's asleep, you might think that they might be dead, but they're not, right? So too with those who die in Christ. They can look dead, but actually they're not. Where are they? They are with Christ. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, when Christ returns, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. What does Easter bring us? Well, here's the first installment. Death's champion. This really is part of the good news of Easter. Uh, this is news to be shared. This is great news. Uh, this is the news that was announced under the earth in the realm of the dead and it was announced in heaven in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Praise you, Heavenly Father. For Jesus Christ, the Lord of the living and the dead. We praise you that when he went down to Sheol, he 
proclaimed his victory, his authority. He bound Satan, he robbed him, and he set the righteous captives free. Our loving Father,